You're listening to What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Check out all our shows at greenlitpodcast.com. Content warning. Nuclear war, rape, consent issues, genetic manipulation, slavery, colonialism, mutilation, ableism, and Lovecraftian horrors, but cuddly ones. Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. outlast your people here on earth he said i hope so i told him his expression said he didn't believe me but i meant it we would not be here the earth he knew would not be here for more than a few centuries we owen kali and construct were space-going people as curious about other life and as acquisitive of it as humans were hierarchical eventually we would have to begin the long long search for a new species to combine with to construct new life forms much of owen kali existence was spent in such searches we would leave the solar system in perhaps three centuries. I would live to see the leave-taking myself, and when we broke and scattered, we would leave behind a lump of stripped rock, more like the moon than like this blue earth. He did not know that. He would never know it. To tell him would be a cruelty. Do you ever think of yourself or your kind as human? The female asked. Some of you look so human. We feel our humanity. It helps us to understand both you and the Owen Kali. Owen Kali alone could never have let you have your Mars colony. I heard they were helping, the male said. Your your parents said they were helping. They help because of what we constructs tell them, that you should be allowed to go, even though you'll eventually destroy yourselves. The Owen Kali believe, the Owen Kali know to the bone that it's wrong to help the human species regenerate unchanged because it will destroy itself again. To them it's like deliberately causing the conception of a child who is so defective that it must die in infancy. They're wrong. Someday we'll show them how wrong. It was a threat. It was meaningless, but it gave him some slight satisfaction. Hello, Wayfarers. Welcome once again to What Mad Universe, the podcast about genre tropes, pulp, and the history of sci-fi. I'm Adam Prosser, and with me as always is Philip Rice. Hello. And uh, today we're tackling um, a... One of the most recent books we've looked at for the series, although it's uh, still, I think, of uh, historical impart, uh, Octavia Butler's uh, Xenogenesis Trilogy, uh, more recently known as Lilith's Brood. Uh, that's three books known as uh, uh, Dawn, Adulthood Rights, and Imago, uh, published in the late 80s. And uh, they're a significant uh, science fiction uh, series that uh, won the Hugo and are uh, considered pretty, um, uh, one of the sort of bedrocks of sci-fi for the current generation in a way that uh, older stuff had previously been. Um, and uh, it's, is this, other than, I guess, the Illuminatus trilogy, this is the first time we've seen, we've looked at a proper trilogy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, some of the books were originally, like, Okay, Foundation was a trilogy, but they did more books. Yeah, <laughs> Foundation was a um, a fixed up a fix up novel, and yeah. then they added he added more later on. So I I like yeah I guess it's a trilogy, but it's not this this is much yeah, same with uh, same with Earthsea, which was a trilogy for a long time, but then she wrote more. Right, 
that's true. And and in in each of those cases, it was. And then there's the Illuminatus trilogy, but really that's one big book rather than this. This is a book where, or this is three books where they each feel very discreet, but they all feel like planned part of a three part whole that come together. So it feels. This is the first time we've done that that really feels that way properly. I think. Um, I think so. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, it's it's a story about. Um, um, well, the 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 initial uh, the titular character and the initial um, main character Lilith uh, Oyapo. Uh, Iapo. Iapo, I'm sorry. I, I looked it up. Um, yeah, apparently it means um, um, uh, it's a uh, Nigerian name. Uh, seems to mean uh, many hard situations, <laughs> which fits. Yeah, yeah. There's obviously they put um, you know a butler. Put uh, <laughs> carefully chose that name, and of course, uh, the title Lilith, Lilith Lilith's yeah. Brood. Obviously, we'll, we'll discuss how that yeah. that's very relevant. Um, but yeah, anyway, she wakes up. She's despite uh, she's an, uh, I guess her family's from Nigeria, but she's American, and she um, she was actually in the Andes, and there was a nuclear war. Uh, ironically, these books were published right as you know, right as the Cold War was ending. But um, there's a nuclear war, or I I guess implicitly nuclear war. I guess you could argue it was something else, but uh, it seems to have been, yeah. A I nuclear think they exchange. pretty much say it. Um, I can't remember if they yeah. use the phrase. Yeah, but it's it's you know. it, it, that's the obvious uh, uh, conclusion. Um, anyway, that she wakes up on an alien, what is later revealed to be an alien spaceship. Uh, among uh, beings known as the Owen Kali, who have uh, saved some of the humans and have been uh, working on restoring Earth after the environmental and, you know, uh, d d the destruction of uh, that occurred in the wake of the, um, the war. And they're um, basically, they saved humans because they want to interbreed with them, which is what the species does. They basically find new species, they do what's called uh, a gene, a genetic trade with them. And they uh, integrate themselves into this species and basically create a new, a new species of Owen Kali uh, with the gene that features the genes that were used in that, um, the, whatever the, the host species they've, uh, they've come across. And uh, they end up basically, as I said at the beginning, they basically, you know, absorb all the life on earth and, interbreed with it and, and take off to find new places. So in a very real way, they're almost like a intergalactic virus, but they're also very benevolent. They saved humans um, early on. Well, they, they say they're benevolent. Well, there's, this... there's issues around that. It, it's, it's a complicated book and then it doesn't have easy answers at any point. There's not, there's not a clear uh, right and wrong situation. Uh, from a lot of right, the and I mean, it's it's worth noting that very significantly, the human race was basically gone. Like they were, they were based, they basically wiped themselves out as the story starts, and they only survived because of the Onkali. Uh, yeah, it's it's said that um, yeah, it's said that uh, the few that remained right. on Earth would have died. Of yeah, the, it's it's clearly meant damage. to be like humans significantly war. managed to wipe themselves out, and so the Onkali. So anything that happens at this point is essentially. A bonus and to say like well well um yeah but at the same time if you save somebody that doesn't give you the right to uh right. do some of the well stuff this is anyway that but but that's a significant sort of moral uh point in the book that gets that gets discussed yeah that's the central right. question and and, and it's a it's of note that um yeah that that this is kind of and this is something that gets contemplated over the course of the series. So then it becomes, well, we need to find a way to get humans to work with us. And Lilith has is going to become their ambassador and, and basically find a way to get humans to go along with uh, interbreeding with Dion Kali. Um, and then as the series goes on... But she's, she's against it. Um, and she wants to just go along with their plan and then uh, escape. Uh, initially, yes. Earth. That's her, that that's her yeah that's her um, right plan for most of the first book um, until until it's right. completely thwarted and, and, at the end and she starts uh, going right. along with it but as anyway the and that, that, but then there there becomes a discussion of like the Onkali start to understand humans and because of their creating uh, hybrid uh, human Onkali beings and so they start to say you know well oh, okay is there a way 
humans, because the Oankali are, uh, they've basically diagnosed us as having effectively a psychological disease. They, yeah, they, yeah, they call it the, uh, the human contradiction or the right. human conflict, uh, alternatively. Um, basically they see us, we have the, um, deadly mix of intelligence and hierarchical thinking, um, which they say is, uh, is really deeply ingrained into the entire history of, um, species on our planet, which is very yeah. Peterson, well, unfortunately. Y- um, though at least it yeah, doesn't well, say this, it's a good that's thing. that's just it. It's, it's rather than, uh, yeah, like Jordan Peterson would say, it's a good thing. <laughs> that th- This is obviously meant to be a tragic flaw. And I think it's actually significant yeah. that she never commits to that as like, that's what the Owen Kali think. That's not 100% yeah, necessarily yeah, they, true. Uh, and the Owen Kali perceive everything. Yeah, the Owen Kali can read... Uh, Sorry, the Onkali can can read uh, genetic structures, so that's right. what they see in us. Um, and be- possibly because of the way they perceive the world, they're genetic determinists. They believe that that's will ultimately kill us. Uh, right. That contradiction. Lilith herself um, refuses mm-hmm. to believe it. Um, at least uh, she argues right. against well, it. Well, well, they it. they yeah, it's it's it, that's exactly it. The Onkali are. You know, they believe everything's in your genes, essentially. Who you are is in your genes, um, you know, which humans don't. And which they, I don't think they, they understand at all until they start to interbreed with humans and you start to get human Oankali's. Uh, significantly, there aren't any pure Oankali as viewpoint characters. There's three different, there's a new viewpoint character for each of the three books. Uh, and arguably, they get more Oankali as it goes. Uh, but th- they're always still human Oankali hybrids. You have Lilith, you have her her son, uh, who's part uh, Oankali Akeen. Akeen, but he's also very human. Like, he's got a, a heavy level of humanity in him. Um, and then the... Yeah, he's also the first uh, male construct. So the male, the first male born to uh, mm-hmm. a human woman. They do have males that are born to the Oankali, because they, they interbreed uh, right. both ways. You know, like... Um, so uh, he's the first male born to a first uh, construct male born to a human woman, and the third book is from the perspective, and it's actually written in first person, unlike the other two, um, from the perspective of uh, um, yeah, Jodas, who is um, an Uloi, um, which is uh, the third sex in the Oankali species, which uh, yeah. We'll so the Oankali they 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 mate with. So what what they do is they travel the galaxy very you know in the very slow moving generation ships, which are also living beings. Uh, of course, they have you know self sustaining ecosystems inside their their ships, and the ships themselves are alive and nourish them, and they trade genes with them and everything. The Oankali literally seem to communicate at least partly by sort of exchanging genes uh linking up and and you know sharing their bodies i guess there's no other way to say it with each other um including genetic material and and scents and tastes and things yeah that they've picked up like um the uh the mates the male and female mates are described as picking up plants and things from the earth and going back to their uloi mates and um sharing the uloi are yeah uloi um are uh, the third sex. They're referred to, uh, um, their pronouns are it, which is interesting. Um, book in the 80s already dealing with sort of pronoun right. issues. Um, um, and uh, they um, they have um, an extra set of arms that can sort of, um, that house a, uh, a filament uh, that comes out of the end. Uh, it opens up and this filament things comes out and can stick yeah. into things. And um, they're they're described as uh, natural genetic engineers. They can um, uh, shift other other creatures' genes around and and um, quote fix right. issues. Well, and they can they heal and too. that gives them pleasure. And they yeah they heal and that um, all this gives them pleasure. And also there's a feedback loop where they give pleasure to the um, to the person they're doing it on. And it is um, sex basically. Um, um, le- at least it's framed that way, and um, um, but they need it to survive. The way they too, set up, they with literally the... need to keep doing it and yeah, bond yeah. with people and so for on. reproduction. No, but I mean yeah. they need to bond 
you only need to bond with humans with, yes. with a pair, or well, not necessarily humans, but a male and a female, uh, like once they hit essentially puberty, or they they're basically disintegrate into like they don't die, but they would basically yeah. melt into a puddle of like cells that would go off and do their own thing, basically, um, which is interesting. Yeah, they 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 uh, get so alone they become um, um, just lose right. the will to live completely and fall apart. And well, that's at least the uh, the human Uloi at least do that because they have uh, more of an ability to change their mm -hmm. bodies, their yeah. own bodies. Um, because um, they've uh, one of the things that attracted them uh, that attracted this species to humanity is cancer, um, which they um, use to um, um, uh, introduce into the next generations in a controlled way. So um, it creates unlimited cell growth, but they can if they can control it, they could just grow back limbs or right. change their bodies around, which they completely. Do do quite yeah uh, well I, I i think i i think they had the ability to regrow limbs and things before meeting humans but they oh yeah yeah but like um uh they, they had uh healing and regeneration yes yeah, but it's definitely yeah like they essentially the one thing they do explicitly more or less say is that uh cancer would allow them to really shapeshift in a way that they couldn't before and we do see this in the final book uh jodas is basically a shapeshifter um he kind of adapts himself to whoever uh he sees and who yeah. he like uh, uh, usually unconsciously say, like he he adapts himself to please yeah. whoever he's trying to please we say him because so he, he, he does think of himself as a male it. for a, a lot of the book for yeah. some of it but it mm -hmm. it's uh for most of the book yeah um yeah i i can see why that one was written in the first person because the it pronouns would get confusing yeah um well, i i I think if it was written today, it might be they. But, but the the Uloi who starts the book and becomes Lilith's mate is Nikanj, and uh, it's a pretty prompt. Other than Lilith, it's probably the most important character in the entire series, um, and we get to know it very well in the final book uh, because uh, it's Jodas is its uh, progeny, and um, like it, it it was literally like they needed an Uloi, but they're afraid to breed human Uloi's because they're trying to, you know, sort of filter out, get humans to a place where they can have Uloi, but if they're not, because Uloi, if they weren't ready, Uloi could do a lot of damage. They're, they've got the ability to manipulate everyone's bodies and genes and so on, and they could, you know, they could lash out and poison people. They also have, uh, Ilan Kali also have uh, the ability to, to sting, and they can knock people out or even kill them if they're not being careful. Um, one thing that's actually... But they, they, they avoid that at all costs, right. because they have a sort of imperative not to destroy life. Right. They they hate doing that right. uh, to the point of uh, mania in some cases. Yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, that's actually like the, one of the interesting things about this is that the stakes in this story are almost never, I'm going to die. Even, you know, I guess to a degree in the first book, but, you know, Lilith's never in any actual physical danger. And once you get to the other characters who are, human onkali the constructs they're you know they're very very hard to kill like they get shot repeatedly uh, through the story and uh but the, and they they're they're basically fine their main stakes are i don't want to get into a position where i might have to hurt humans or where humans might die uh or we might have to do something to the humans to prevent them from hurting people Th those are always the stakes in the story which is kind of interesting mm -hmm. Now th this is interesting because you're coming down on more of the Owen Colley's side, I think. Than, yeah. Because the book is sort of framed a lot of it from from their, um, if not their perspective, then their um, viewpoint tends to win out. But um, I think there's a lot of issues with what they do. Um, uh, the the first uh, um, Owen Colley that Lilith meets um, says they'll never do anything without her consent, but that's not true. He may uh, that that's a male. Uh, he may have believed it, but they do a lot without their consent. They just sort of reframe their consent in different ways. Um, the um, the first time um, Lilith has uh, mates with uh, uh, Nikanj, uh, the the Uloi, um, it's she doesn't consent verbally. Right. Um, the, the Nikanj says. Uh, I read your, you know, I, I could tell you wanted it, um, which maybe yeah. she could read her body, you know, language and 
and pheromones and all that, but yeah, well, she didn't. Well, that she said yeah, no. that is that is the irony here because to Owen Kali who communicate with genetic and like physical, I guess body reactions and so on. Uh, you know, verbal consent is not as important as physical consent, which is really, you know, uh, getting into some uh, dodgy territory. Yeah. Well, also, also their their mutual mate Joseph um, is asleep right. when they first do this. Yeah. Um, he's he, like no ability to give consent. Um, I think rape is a major um, theme in this whole series. Right. Um, especially like even the third book where it's from a, uh, Uloi's point of view. And we discover that, uh, it's, um, because it's a uh, human construct, a uh, human, uh, Owen Kali construct, it's pheromones are especially, um, seductive to humans. Um, and we see that humans, I mean, they say yes, eventually, but, uh, what can that actually mean? Like from, you know, any uh, real sense if your body is forcing you to right consent yeah yeah if if there if somebody else's pheromones are forcing your your bodily reactions to to crave it like there's no actual consent here um yeah um there's also issues like the the own collies say they have a biological imperative uh to go out and mix with other species but they also sterilize the entire human race so they can't yeah. uh, reproduce without own Kali help. And that's denying us our biological imperative to reproduce. Right. And now, so we'll see that's, that, that is a significant point because what, so what happens is that as, as I basically said in the, that opening bit, um, when the Onkali come down, they go, you know, they, just as they've seen humanity, you know, basically wipe itself out in a nuclear war uh, they see this genetic predisposition towards uh, hierarchical tendency combined with intelligence as inherently self-destructive. And the second book is about Akeen, who who uh, basically goes to live with resistors, who are humans who have gone off and basically said we're gonna we're gonna refuse to to join with the Owen Kali, and they're um, they're they're sterile they can't have children so they do things like kidnapping children which is why akeen's with them in the first place he they, he gets uh he gets kidnapped to be one of theirs and he lives with them for a bit and he comes back and he basically says well look you've you're going to have to while still fundamentally you know agreeing with the whole on kali uh project he says you know we're going to have to create a you know humans should be allowed to sort of live on their own and keep doing what they're doing so they create the mars colony where humans they're going to terraform mars and humans are going to be able to live on mars um and and continue as they were what's called uh what the, the cohen collie actually oh, they always create a an offshoot of their um ships called the akjai uh who are basically preserving the genes as they were before they came to the latest uh, host species so they always preserve that form. And they're basically saying, well, okay, so we'll be doing that for humans. But they also think that's actually very cruel. And it's a very contentious thing among the Oankali because they think that by letting a group of humans stay and continue to to breed and, and reproduce, they are basically dooming them to uh, die. So from their perspective, they're actually, they're doing something unethical by allowing humans to start breeding with themselves again. <laughs> so uh, like, it's a very alien, you know, philosophy essentially like they have a very strange mindset and they have to like they have to they, they literally i mean from the perspective of the story they had to kind of uh coexist with humans for a while and they had to interbreed with humans in order to understand them well enough to understand the moral implications of what they'd done essentially um that's one of the ironies of the story yeah uh a few things <clears throat> building off of that um the kidnapping children thing was was interesting to me. Having um, uh, I listened to the Behind the Bastards episode a while back about uh, King Leopold II of Belgium, uh, who uh, took over the uh, part of the Congo, the Belgian Congo, um, and um, uh, he had instituted as a money making scheme uh, or money making uh, measure that um, his uh, Congolese. Uh, uh, mercenaries or is you know hired army um couldn't uh 
use a bullet without proving that it was used to kill a uh, enemy. So you had to prove every bullet that uh, goes missing, you have to uh, give a human hand, a severed human hand, as proof that you killed an enemy. And as a result of that, because people, you know, will accidentally shoot off a, a gun or they need to go hunting to feed their family or whatever, um, human hands quickly became an actual currency in the region, like passed, like passed around as money. Um, some people would, like there were entire villages where people would be missing a hand. Um, um, some people would give up their hands for money, you know, it, for sustenance. Um, yeah, it's just interesting, the unintended consequences of these um, colonialist actions. Um, right. Well, in that case, like, Leopold didn't set out to say, um, Leopold's more cru yeah, outwardly cruel than the Owen Collie are, but it's interesting that uh, some of these actions lead to um, uh, unintended consequences. Yeah, well, that's, that's definitely the case. I think, um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, I, I, just, I think the, you're the always that, going to uh, have, I think, that, I think if you say, well, you guys can't have children anymore, like, of course they were going to start, you know, kidnapping children. And that's, again, something that, that they literally need to, uh, to convey to the humans, uh, or to the Owen Kali, rather. Um, I'm not sure that's quite the same thing in this case, uh, but it, it certainly... No, but it, it's just the, the idea of uh, of children being sold um, just reminded me of the human hands as currency. Yeah. Just, like, um, that That wasn't, like, a goal of King Leopold II, but it was a, a consequence of what he did. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, um, I think just sort of... Uh, spinning off into the larger question of like the morality of the Owen Kali. I, I think the, the series is written partly as a response to, um, there's kind of a tradition in science fiction going back to, um, childhood's end, uh, the Arthur C. Clarke novel of, um, there, there's a whole, I guess, sub sub genre of science fiction that involves, um, benevolent aliens coming or aliens coming down to earth. And, uh, playing a large role in, sh in reshaping our history or our species in one way or another, uh, in ways that may not always be benign, but there's usually sort of the idea that, well, you've got to move to the next level and we're going to take you to the next level, basically. Um, and, um, there's a sense, and it's always got, as you say, that, that sort of consent issue. It's that whole thing of, well, wait a minute, you're coming in and you're stepping in and you're, and you're, 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 turning us around in some way or another what even if it's as simple as like giving us new technology or literally like altering us in some way you can see elements of it in 2001 a space odyssey as well um <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, you can see elements that it, it, star trek the prime directive um uh right it's the response it's yeah, the negative like I, response I have, I have issues with how that's often played on that show but um it, it is uh an understandable uh reaction to how colonialism often works. Yes. Um, well, that was that was the response. Like, uh, the, it, it's always in response. It's never just a matter of, well, like, we're going to take these humans who are minding their own business and we're going to mess around with them. It's always in response to, well, look, you guys have already changed so much, as, you know, because this is 20th century fiction, science fiction that we're talking about. and or, or occasionally you might go back to the 19th century, but just we're talking about the hyper explosion of technological progress in the last century, two centuries, and the way humans are obviously already changing and human society has obviously changed radically at this point. And sure, you can argue that, oh yeah, we're just going to leave you and we're not going to interfere with what you do. But the argument is often, but you're going to wipe yourself out if we do that. Like you are on a, it was very frequently believed between World War II and the end of the Cold War that, like, yeah, we're on the path to just completely wiping ourselves out. It might actually be better if aliens came down acting as, like, parental figures and said, okay, everyone go sit in a corner until you've grown up enough to be able to use this technology and not wipe each other out, and that that would potentially be a good thing. Like, not whether whether or not you agree that it is, and of course this is what the 
the the the genre of stories became about like it was like to what degree is that moral to what degree can we defend that is it interfering or is it literally saving us um like having an outside force come in and, and reshape us is that because it's clearly speaking to a basic need that a lot of people might say they had like we're so screwed up somebody come down and fix us what if there's a super powerful alien entity that could come down and they're more just than we are now as you say i don't think the owen kali and i don't think the aliens in childhood childhood's end which i actually haven't written are uh, i haven't read but uh, i don't think they're necessarily meant to be perfectly moral either there's it's more of a sense of well they're coming down and they're going to have an effect on us and it's going to take us to the next step in evolution for good or for ill um and what are the consequences of that I, and that's what she's writing in response to like there have been a number of other stories uh that have gone down that route um and speaking of something dropping in with dubious morality uh <laughs> it's uh time to take a quick break for some words from our sponsors we'll be right back on what mad universe Hi, Stu. Hi, Luke. Do you fancy doing a podcast covering every segment of every episode of the beloved 90s cartoon Animaniacs? No, I hate Animaniacs. Join me, Luke, the Warner lover, and him, Stu, the Warner resistor, for Animani Chat, covering every segment of every episode of the hit 90s cartoon Animaniacs, as well as its many spin-offs, including comics, video games, and the movie, not to mention the recent reboot. It's gonna be explainy to the max. Oh... Fans of video games, history, or video game history will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Another issue that, um, that comes up in this one, I'm not sure if it's... Um an intentional thing or uh, an unthinking thing, but it, it made me uncomfortable throughout. Um, um, you, you mentioned at the be in the the opening quote um, that uh, letting humans uh, live and continue to reproduce is the equivalent of allowing a, uh, a, a deformed child to be born. Um, and I, I know there's um, lots of um, uh, back and like if you know. Um, there's debates on that, but the idea of uh, disability, the right. Owen Collie um, come down and fix all our disabilities. Right. Like even a, a little person later on in the story is fixed. So he becomes tall. Um, like it, it just like what, what else is, is going to be fixed? Right. Uh, autism, yeah. gayness, you know, are, are, like there's no, there's no gay people in, in this book. Right. Um, in these books, uh, is that because the Owen Collie weeded them out or uh, quote cured them? Is that because they can't reproduce? I, yeah. I don't know. Like, um, yeah, that's right. That is definitely uh, an issue in this book. Uh, the way disability is treated, uh, I, and as you say, it may not be entirely intentional, um, or may not be uh, intentional. I, I don't think it is, yeah. but it's not. It's not dealt with as thoughtfully as some of the other themes are. So I don't think it's. Um, meant to be in there right as a theme right it's disability is not framed as something that like that could that could have come up in the context of the resistors like they literally might say well you don't have a right to fix our genes right like that that could actually yeah. be a legitimate reason for the resistors to not want to join with the owen kali um and and again yeah. like we're seeing it that we're talking about the owen kali and their line of thought um, which might be a certain way. And it, it actually is interesting because you actually would think they wouldn't see, quote, you know, disabilities as necessarily a bad thing. They're literally, well, almost literally sexually attracted to cancer. So we know that they don't necessarily see things that we see, and nobody's going to, you know, have a kind word for cancer if you're a human being. Um, so we know that they can see human genetic diversity and like physical diversity as a very good thing. It's a very positive thing. So it is actually kind of irrational that they turn around and say, well, I'm going to heal you of, you know, genetic being short, yeah, being, you know, of, of things that are, were not supposed to happen in your, according to your, and like, how do they know that if your genes say that you have, say, I, I think it was a, somebody who has Huntington's disease at one point, um, 
they, if your genes say you've got that, that's how you're supposed to be. Why would they jump in and say, well, that's a disorder and we're going to fix it. Like that actually doesn't really make sense. Um, th you would think they would think uh, now you could sort of say there's a bit of a, a crack there in the, the discussion because uh, he does mention that there, the third book is about a colony of uh, not even really resistors, but they've, there's a group of humans who actually have managed to remain fertile. Uh, they through a fluke or something, uh, and they they have uh, uh, fibromyalgia, I believe it is. Um, so genetically, there's a small group of humans who have managed to survive and breed and have children, but they all have fibromyalgia, which the Owen Kali eventually end up coming in and, and help and, and and curing and so forth. But he does mention um, uh, Jodas, the protagonist of the third book. Or it, yeah, yeah. They, they do. He does mention it. <laughs> I'm sorry again. He's it, 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 once again. I I can really like yeah. Uh, neo pronouns are fine, but I I it is a hard one to wrap your head <laughs> yeah. around because it's usually an inanimate object. Yeah. Um, and and again, it it does think of itself as a he. And I can see why. Once again, I can see why the th I can see why the third book is written from first person perspective because yeah. that would be hard. But um, it does mention early on. They say, "Well, wait a minute," because every human who's gone back to Earth has been, um, like the the Uloi and the Oankali have dealt with them in one way or another before putting them back down on Earth. They had them in suspended animation. They, you know, a lot of people had radiation burns from the, the nuclear war and they had to be, and other health problems that had to be corrected. Again, you, this, in this case, we're saying like it's an artificially technologically induced thing. Um, but uh, Jodas says, well, some Uloi put these people back on Earth without, you know, uh, with this uh, genetic issue, and I think they actually do explain that um, the genetic issue was not with the person, but with uh, what they would pass on to their children, right. because they were going to be sterilized, and that was the mistake that they weren't sterilized. Right. Um, they didn't bother to fix or quote fix that genetic problem because it's a issue with their offspring, which they're not going right. to have. Right, but y you could almost, if you wanted to, kind of. Uh, read into it. You could say that some Uloi, some nameless Uloi, uh, saw that they had genetic uh, fibro uh, uh, neurofibromyalgia and went, oh, this is actually beautiful. This is actually wonderful human genetic diversity. And maybe that's why they ended up not being sterile as well. Like, is it is there a Rogo and Kali somewhere who set them back on Earth with this? Like, it is actually sort of implied in the story that, that's, that that might be necessarily true. So that you could kind of... I hadn't considered that, but that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, that's interesting. It, that would be, now, that would be very, very subtle uh, if that's the case. But they never do explain why this, you know, group of humans are fertile when all the other humans are not fertile if they're not linked with the Owen Kali. So, um, you know, you, that's that. I think that's an interesting interpretation. I think there's enough room to consider that Butler may have actually intended that. Um, but, you know, it's, it, as you say, though, there are some somewhat, let's say, dated interpretations of uh, disability in this as well, uh, as, as you as you basically said. So, um, you know, it could go either way, but there, there's that. There's there's a bit of a a window there where you could consider that as a possibility, and that we are mm -hmm. because we are seeing it through the eyes of certain characters, and not and not an omniscient. And believe me, having an omniscient morality is definitely not uh, the point of these books. Like there is a hundred percent. You know, all the characters have their own morality, and, and many of them are aliens and have a very non-human morality. So that is very much part of the point of the story. <clears throat> Um, yeah, something that I found interesting were uh, there are parallels with actual uh, colonialism and, and racism on Earth, though it's it's never a one-to-one -one thing. <clears throat> but um, once again, uh, we discussed the, the idea of rape and consent and, you know, um, can you consent if the, if the other person's pheromones are literally, you know, coercing your body into, mm -hmm. into making you consent? And similar ideas with, you know, can a, a mistress consent to her master? You know, is that like a thing right. which we would say no, um, that consent in that in that relationship is impossible. Um, 
but uh, there's a character um, in the first book, uh, the first human that Lilith meets uh, after a w awakening, or the second, the first adult human, because right. she meets a child briefly. But uh, Paul Titus, um, who uh, was um, unfrozen or un taken out of suspended animation at 14 and has uh, grown up uh, without ever having seen another human being and has a lot of uh, issues with... Um, um, He's sort of, he's arrested development. As Lilith said, nobody taught him how to be a man. Uh, he doesn't know how to control his uh, feelings around Lilith. He's been told that um, she's going to mate with him, because the Owen Collie assumed that she would. And when she doesn't want to, he gets mad and tries to rape her and then beats her. Um, and um, uh, Lilith at no point actually blames uh, him, she blames the Owen Collie for putting him in that situation. Once again, you know, uh, which uh, is iffy, but yeah, um, it, it's interesting. Um, but uh, both both characters are black, and I I think that's very um, um, right. important thematically. This this uh, uh, black woman sort of being um, subjugated and. Um, and we should be we should be clear we should be clear that um, Octavia Butler was African American as well. Um, and and this is I've read uh, a couple of other other books. I read the the uh, parable books. I believe they're called Earth Seed. Uh, there's two of them. She planned a larger series, but she said she found it too depressing. And uh, the book that I think is considered her real uh, groundbreaking work, the one that sort of put her on the map, is called Kindred. Which is about, um, which was apparently written in in response to um, people who felt that, uh, like discussions within the African American community about uh, being too subservient to white people, and uh, her sort of making the argument and saying, well, historically there's a reason for that, which is, you know, it was a way of surviving under slavery and under you know white supremacy for a long period of time. So, without you know, of course, saying that it's necessarily great and positive, uh, you know, that there's a, there's a, there's a reason to it. And I think that seems to be a yeah, recurring... that's definitely a thing with Lilith, because uh, she becomes, uh, as she says, a collaborator. Right. Um, and it's largely just because she needs to survive. Mm -hmm. um, well, that was, I think, um, the, I think and, the point is... And then is the, because she, she needs her family to survive. Um, I think the point is the, the second book. Almost. That, that was kind of a theme in um, Butler's work, was that you... You know, she was, I think she was very hesitant to judge characters who kind of did what they have to do to survive. Uh, that, that's, that's a, that's a recurring, and, and that, and that we have to look at sort of a larger system when there's a, when there's an issue with something, um, which is not to say that, you know, like there's any question that Paul Titus is like a rapist and he's not, you know, he's, he's obviously got this kind of problem, but as you say, she's, she's looked at, she looks at him, Butler, but also Lilith, uh, with a certain degree of sympathy and a certain degree of like, well, you know, human humans become essentially pets throughout this series, and they're and they're we're sort of we're seeing all their worst traits from the perspective of this more, uh, I guess, godlike in some ways series of uh, group of aliens who are here to sort of study us and look at us, and with you know a lot of some of the stakes removed, at least for them. Um, you know, we can see that as a lens through which some of the worst impulses of humanity become, um, you know, a way of, uh, like, we can sort of look at them with a bit more detachment. And I think that's what Butler's going for in a lot of this, um, in a lot of this mm -hmm. story. I think that it's that it's sort of like, well, let's take a look. It's, it's the, the thing about how, you know, wolves in captivity, we developed that whole alpha wolf attitude, but it, it was because they were in captivity. The humans in this are essentially, they're all in captivity and the ones who, Art are the ones who are basically agreeing to come over to the Onkali side of things. Yeah. Um, another thing with Paul Titus that I noticed, um, uh, he says he's never had sex, but they've used his um, his genetic material to father over 40 children with women he's never met, and he fears that some of them might be related to him. Right. Which uh, goes back, uh, w once again, uh, the um, uh, Of One Blood episode, or, or, mm. or uh, Of One Blood by... Um, uh, Sorry, I'm blanking on her name. By the way, Pauline Hopkins was the author. Um, of, of yeah, thank you. Sorry, Black. Well, our episode out of Africa, which uh, Jess Nevins pointed out that it was a major um, um, 
concern in the African American community in the uh, decades or century following uh, the end of slavery that um, they could be related to somebody they they want to have a relationship with, right? Because so many people were ripped from their families that there's no way of telling. Right, exactly. And yeah, that uh, I've I've thought that was that's really, a theme. Uh, I believe that's a theme in Kindred as well uh, in Butler. But it was yeah, no, it, that is that is a, a theme that Butler was a hundred percent aware of. Like it, it's it's a it's it's a theme. It's been a, a theme in a lot of I think African American literature. Um, uh, or at least it's an it's it's something that that a specter that sort of haunts a lot of African American uh, writing and 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 culture in general um, of that certainly of that particular time period because that was a nineteenth century novel. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, we we said we were going to discuss uh, Lilith as a name. Right. Uh, Lilith is is of course uh, definitely a reference to the um, um, religious character um, in. Um, Jewish and Christian mythology, uh, Lilith, the uh, first wife of Adam. Uh, she was created. Uh, it's not uh, known uh, who came up with the character. She's not in the Bible, uh, per se. Um, it was created as a midrash, a sort of, um, <laughs> I guess, the um, religious equivalent of the Marvel No Prize, where you're right. patching up a continuity mm -hmm. error, um, where uh, the uh, first and second Genesis describe uh, the creation of human beings differently. Um, and the actual reason for that, uh, if uh, you listen to Apocrypals, also on the Green Podcast Network, <laughs> listen to all of our shows. Uh, sorry. Um, in the case of Genesis, uh, it says um, God created man and woman. And then in Genesis 2, uh, it says God created man and then created Eve from his rib. So what they did later, um, they came in and said, well, that, that's a contradiction, but it doesn't have to be. So God created man and woman at the same time. So man and his first wife, Adam and his first wife, Lilith, uh, who then left him. Um, and then um, because uh, usually the story is um, uh, she wouldn't submit to him um, sexually, usually uh, um, particular positions right. are mentioned. Um, and um, so uh, she left and then... Um, God created uh, Eve out of Adam's rib after that to uh, give him somebody to uh, be with. Um, and then Lilith went on to uh, meet up with, in a lot of uh, particularly Christian versions, goes up to meet with Satan and reproduces and has a lot of children, well, demonic children. Not, with not just Satan, but demons in general. She mated with demons. Yeah, yeah. She's the origin of, uh, of succubi in... Um, in some versions, right? Um, so uh, demons that will enter your dreams uh, while you're sleeping um, have cause sex dreams and cause nocturnal emissions. Where that's incubi, right. yeah. Well, incubi um, are male. Succubi, incubi are male. Yeah, yeah. Succubi, um, are female. succubi uh, uh, according to some versions, uh, the succubi actually extract the sperm and then the incubi injected into uh, into women. Hmm. Um, and that produces demon offspring, which is not um, that far off from what's happening in this book with the aliens. So exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And uh, so Lilith is a very um, um, fitting name for this character. Right. Yeah, it's it's, and of course, it's the point is that that she's seen by all the humans who who uh, who push back as you know as she's fornicating with demons, like like Lilith is in the Bible. Uh, it, so that's that's, and she often she often sees herself that way. Um, she even in later books often um, calls herself a collaborator or yeah. um, regrets um, having like not not necessarily having the children that she had, but um, um, th there's there's a weird melancholy throughout her character in the later stories, right. um, including the last the last one where um, um, uh, she knows that Jodas is sort of imprinting, for lack of a better term, on uh, these um, on. Uh, it's uh, two new mates, uh, human mates, and Lilith um, knows that they're that Jodas is using pheromones to sort of influence them and take away their ability to consent. But Lilith uh, chooses not to tell them because she loves her child. Um, well, specifically, the thing of... that she doesn't want to say is the fact that 
uh, they like because they're planning to leave once once uh, once it's okay, but they won't be able yeah, to leave and because they physically won't be able. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing she specifically won't tell them, um, which is you know again it and, is um, it does have a consent. And she said they'll they'll resent her for the rest of their lives, and they'll be right to right. So, yeah. Um, so again, this is this is this is the thing, and it is you know legitimately, you know. Uh, dealing with a very alien very extreme situation <laughs> so it's it's uh yes. that's the context of all this again you know it's it's literally like this is the second chance of the human race i i think it is uh again i think it is actually very significant that we don't we aren't going to find out what happened to the mars colony basically uh we don't know what yep. the end of this and that, i think that's a very significant dangling end of like well maybe humans can make it on their own um uh, maybe the oncology yeah, are wrong um i read i read some reviews going into this um and there was there's some talk of disappointment that uh, uh the third book isn't more of a you know spectacular finish to the whole thing but i i actually like that aspect that it's left sort of um there's hope but there's also um like we don't know what's gonna happen right yeah exactly it's not it, yeah, like she literally could not say for and all because she'd have to be like literally rendering judgment on humanity if she did that she'd have to be saying yeah humans can't coexist we're all gonna wipe ourselves out bye you know in a world or or the humans rise up against the owen collie and, right you know whatever yeah like that would be turn into a generic you know <laughs> i mean that wouldn't feel right either story. i don't think that would be like no, a, no. a star wars type triumphant thing because it'd be like you know the resistors are seen very there's a pretty dim view even if they're made right in many ways and they're sympathetic in many ways you take a pretty dim view of them throughout most of the story because they do seem to be yeah the, yeah the childish ones it, it, um they they don't uh butler doesn't shy away from um having the resistors do terrible things, believe terrible things. Um, uh, Akeen goes to various resistor villages and uh, he says, uh, or the, the narration says, there's some that he simply wasn't welcome in because his skin was too brown. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely, um, and I mean, it's, which, they're, they're sort of, yeah. they're, 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 in the sense that they're holding on to humanity, they're holding on to the bad parts of humanity as well as potentially the good parts, right? Like it's the whole, we yeah. refuse to change, but that could be as good or a bad thing. Uh, it's definitely true that yeah. Butler stacks the deck uh, for the Owen Kali and against humans in this, um, in terms of the I story. Disagree. I disagree. I think, I think there's subtle, I mean, I think, um, a straight reading comes across that way, but I think there's a lot of subtle um, uh, anti-Owen Kali. Yeah, um, well, that's what I mean. I mean, like she theme, she lets yeah. you draw your own conclusions, but it's very much like we're gonna we're gonna see this story very much through the eyes of either someone who is like the first book is literally about someone who comes around to essentially their point of view, and then from that point on, it's from the Owen Kali point of view. Um, so it's 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 definitely. You know, it, it, which is only logical because, of course, if it's completely from the resistor point of view, for instance, um, it's not that hard to say, yeah, well, these aliens who are literally absorbing us and, you know, taking away our, you know, our genetic diversity and they're going to eat our planet and doing all this other stuff. Like, it, it's not hard to see them as just purely Lovecraftian monsters if you want to do that. That's the whole challenge of the series is to to make them sympathetic or at least understandable in that perspective. Um, so it's really, yeah. really fine piece uh, of writing in that, from that perspective. Um, yes. as you say, there's, there's, there's maybe aspects where it didn't date. Like, I think aspects of it is that it's dated and that there are these issues that we've already raised do come up, but there's enough quality in the writing and ambiguity. And she's like, these ideas are baked in enough that you can allow for these, other discussions so you're not going to necessarily say oh yeah yeah she's just you know of her product over time she didn't write it that way it's like no it's in the story and you can consider it i believe they're actually uh planning to turn this into a television series uh the xenogenesis series yeah it's been it's been um optioned i believe yeah uh which is going to be very challenging i don't know i don't like this is yeah. not an obvious uh hollywood sci-fi story at all uh in yeah. many different ways uh, both both in structure and it the Owen Collier are going to be hard to depict both in 
writing and visually because they're supposed to be so disturbing looking that humans right. like gag on you know like become like murderous in often cases upon seeing them and they have right. to slowly acclimate to um to seeing them and even um later uh if you haven't seen one in a while it, it can be a shock to the system yeah I, I, um, it's not even that that you like I, I don't think it's that hard to make them look shocking and horrible it's the fact that in prose the, the characters are like well i started to care about them and oh i wanted to like wrap my tentacles around them and like it felt good and you can write that and say it felt good but you portray it on screen and it's very it's going to be very difficult for that perspective also just per i think it can be done uh, i think making ugly aliens uh, sympathetic like um district right. nine did it fairly yeah. well um, yeah no you can and the fact that we get time to sort of learn know them and and understand them is going to be part of it they're also going to be difficult to pull off just from a purely technical point of view they're very it, i i never got a, a incredibly firm handle on both the Oankali themselves and the constructs, which are human Oankali mixes. Like, the Oankali themselves don't have eyes, right? As we would understand them. No, they don't. They um, The first one that Lilith meets has a arrangement of tentacles that sort of look like eyes, but that doesn't seem to be common. Right. And yeah, because they've been designed to look to sort of interact with humans a bit more, and then yeah. and then but then human yeah, Owen actually we have... we meet um we meet more pure Owen Colley, uh in the second book, mm -hmm. um which is more well, like uh, an anthropod. It has six limbs mm -hmm. and and like a shell structure over it, and um, the Owen Colley that we usually meet throughout the stories have been bred to be able to at least interact with right. humans on a... Well, to be... Even if they are still shocking to look and at. And to be fair, I, the Oankali would not say, oh, that's a more pure Oankali, because they... That, that One thing oh, in, their, yeah. in, their, right. in their in their defense is they would My not think of something theirs. as pure if it had been genetically mingled. Like, that's just what they do. That's something that, you know, yeah. they're all Oankali. If, it, if this keeps up, you know, all of the races in the entire universe are going to end up as Oankali, basically, uh, in one form. Yeah, it, it even says... Um, uh, on some worlds, uh, Owen Collie might die, and their cells would just like it, it's a dead world, and but their cells would survive, and eventually they could come back millions of years later, and they'd be teeming with life, right. descended from the Owen Collie organo, right. sort of Prometheus like. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, and they even sort of suggest that the Owen Collie's initial evolution, way, way, way back when, were that they were like very complex, like I, again, almost like a a, a parasite or a. A disease like they started in you know injecting themselves into cells and reshaping the cells and that's sort of where they came from initially um so yeah <laughs> that's definitely yeah something it, to consider. It's, it's explicit they're extremely different from how they started out on, and they don't know where their home world is or what is happening on yeah it. yeah they've been they've been uh traveling the galaxy for a very long time and and feeding on all these different worlds and spreading out into space oh it it should be also noted um, uh, their um, uh, use this uh, method of their genetic trade in, in depicted in the book is uh, explicitly not their usual um, method of going about it. Usually, they they set up shop nearby, and eventually people will start coming in back and forth, and eventually they subsume the whole uh, new civilization. But in this case, because humans were dying out, they had to. They felt they had to um, do what they did, right? Um, and because they were just so uh, enamored with our cancers, yeah. and stuff. <laughs> they loved our cancers, um, but, but yeah, not just our cancers. Many other aspects of it, but yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I said and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, it is again. That that's that's the 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 era the thing that we're in where it was like it was done to us, so we didn't have that much of a choice. That is very much part of the story. Um, but it was also a situation where if, you know, the Oncali are out of the picture, we're all dead anyway. So, um, anyway. Um, yeah, but once again, if you save somebody from drowning, you don't have yeah, the, yeah, of course. the right to control the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah. You know? 100%. Oh, I would recommend this this book. Yeah, yeah no, it was, <laughs> it, it was it good. It is very uh, good. good it has flaws, but it's it's very yeah, good. Yeah, very uh, good, uh, good work. Well, the planet's breaking up around us, so it's time to fly Mother Nature's silver seed to a new home in the sun. Uh, we've been your hosts, organic material extracted from Adam Prosser and Philip Rice and combined in intriguing new forms. Uh, we want to give thanks, as always, to our producer and engineer, Alex Ross, for maintaining our genetic stability. 
and the human contradiction that is Jack Furick on guitar for our theme song. Uh, reminder as always that we both have a Patreon which helps pay for hosting costs and maintaining our human forms. And if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations and comics, among other things. Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, one L, or Adam Prosser, two S's, or go to neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. You can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me, or Spear Hafok with an F underscore for Philip. And uh, also one final reminder, I do have another podcast right now of the Star Trek Mirror Universe podcast at mirroruniverse.podbean.com with uh, uh, Douglas McDonald Norman, and we talk about Star Trek. It's worth checking out if you like this podcast. We thought it's kind of cool. So until next time, uh, keep your sensory tentacles peeled and make sure you're getting enough fiber. Ha, ha, ha.